Today we're celebrating our 15th anniversary as a church, and so for our sermon we're going to do something just a little bit different, and that is it's going to be in two parts. So I'm preaching half a sermon, and then Paul is preaching the other half. And I'm going to, my uh, object is to look back at the church and to look and see where has God been with us and what has God done. Where have we seen God's grace over the past 15 years? And so Paul said, keep it to about 15 minutes. <laughs> so that's like, that's like one minute per year. And so there's obviously a great many things that I can't bring up. So thank you, John, for the video. Absolutely fantastic. Because one of the things I thought was, was I try to describe what God has done for us. I won't get a chance to put in all the stories. And I think what John did was absolutely fantastic because we got to see uh, so much of that and so much of the things. And for those of us who have... Uh, been around some some faces and uh, that we haven't seen, um, and so it was just 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 wonderful, absolutely fantastic. So, what I want to do is look at where have we seen God's grace at King of Grace over the last fifteen years in uh, in the Bible in the book of First Thessalonians. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote this, and the Apostle Paul had to leave the Thessalonians, and he sent Timothy back because he was worried about how they were doing. So Timothy goes back, spends some time in Thessalonica, and he comes back and he gives his report. And he tells Paul how they're doing, and the church is doing really, really well. So Paul writes this letter to the Thessalonians, and in it he tells them how he sees God's grace working in, his lo- working in their life. That's one of the things. And I want to kind of take that as our format because the stuff that Paul saw in this church that he commended him for is the same stuff that I see and that we see in the church as well. So let me just read this. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 through 9. Actually, 2 through 10. He says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of love, and, or your work of faith, and labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols." to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who has delivered us from the wrath to come. So how have I seen God's grace in King of Grace? And how have I seen God's grace in your life? The first one is growth in the gospel. Paul says, we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but in power and the Holy Spirit with full conviction. He goes on and says, you turn from idols. You turn from idols to serve the living God and to wait for his son from heaven. 
And this is the gospel. This is that core that Paul saw, and it's the core of who we are. It's the gospel that Jesus Christ saves. We are sinners, and we deserve punishment. And yet Jesus Christ died on the cross for our punishment. And so when we repent, we confess our sins, and we have faith in Jesus Christ. He forgives us, and that's the gospel. But the gospel isn't just a one-time thing. It's not something you do once, and then you're done with. But instead, it's a continual, lifelong thing where we continually turn from those things that ensnare us, become like idols to us, and we continue to turn towards the living God. And this gospel comes to you, not just in words, but in power, with the Holy Spirit, with full conviction. And this is what I've seen, because I've seen the evidence of the gospel in your life. And I've seen the power of the gospel in your life. Not that you're perfect, not that you're completely full of faith, and that's what the gospel says, is that we fail and we fall and we sin, and the gospel says that Jesus Christ forgives us for it. And that's where that um, gospel that I've seen, that's a gospel that works in your life that I've seen. So where else have I seen God's grace here? It's the work of faith and the labor of love, these things that Paul talked to the Thessalonians about. And we've seen your labor out of love over and over. We see it with the children. We see it in the VBS program, and we saw on the uh, film just the VBS and how many kids have been reached because of that. And we've had families that have started to attend the church because their kids came to the VBS program. We see it in children's ministry, in youth group. We see this in the nursery. And on Sunday mornings, we see this labor of love as well in music, in projection, in greeting, in the communion prep. We, we see this all the time. In the church building itself, people cleaning the church, people coming from work days, repairing it, updating it, decorating, we see this labor of love. Also, in helping people in crises, we've seen this over and over again, people bringing meals, people visiting, people calling, people writing notes. See, God has given all of us, this desire to work. If we're part of a body, we feel like we should be doing something. And this is what we've seen over the years. And so there's places that you can help on Sunday morning and places that you can help during the week. And I would say, too, that if you really want to feel part of that body and you really want to feel like you're doing this work, that I suggest uh, doing, uh, becoming part of a community group. Because the community groups are, again, a place where we've seen God's grace, where we can minister to each other on this, on this one-by-one, relaxed kind of environment. And we've seen so much good stuff that has um, come out of there, and so many times that God's grace has been in there. And so it's a time where the community groups are a time that we come together and we, we share time we fellowship with each other. We, we talk about the messages, and we care for each other, too. And even just in that, um, that fellowship time, it can be times where it's just, just plain fun to be around. So, so we had a uh, community group that used to be called care groups at one time. We had a care group up in uh, well, Londonderry, and uh, the Drury's went to there, and uh, the Browns went to that, as well as a bunch of other people and ourselves. But I remember one time that somebody, everyone always brought these snacks, right? And so somebody brings these Doritos snacks, and they're like, they're like nacho, jalapeno, flaming, you know, whatever, every other adjective that describes hot to be. And someone brought a bowl of these things, and then someone else brought fruit, and they brought, 
you know, like this, you know, sweet dipping sauce. It was full of sugar and this and that. And so Ken and Tom are like daring each other to take this hot jalapeno thing and to dip it into the sugary sauce to see, <laughs> to see how it is. And so it was just one of those things that was just, it's just a, just a fun time, you know, just to be together. And it's funny because as the community group grows as well, there always becomes these different stories. So I don't remember if it was Ken or Tom or Tom or Ken, but one of them was telling this story and their wife was there. So it was either Sue or or it was Sandy. And again, I don't remember who started it, but they were telling this story and it just seems like it kept getting worse and worse. And all of us are to the point of like, you know, just stop talking, just stop talking. You're not making any better. So the one of them says to the other one, um, and I'm just going to say it was Ken to Tom, but Ken says, uh, after Tom had talked and talked and talked, uh, Ken's finally like, put down the shovel, man. <laughs> it's like, because you're digging deeper. So that was like our, whenever we were going and someone was talking too much, we're like, put down the shovel, put down the shovel. <laughs> but there's just times that we were able to, you know, just come together, just care for each other, just hang out, and just fellowship. And so if you're not in a community group, I totally encourage you uh, to do that. Kind of our format uh, for this season is that we're having... Uh, twice a month where it's Bible study, uh, once a month where it's just fellowship, just hang out, having dinner time. And then another one, uh, some kind of an outreach program. And that's kind of like what our format is. So you have those times you can really hang out, build relationships, and then just care for each other um, as well. And so that's one of these places that I've just seen, um, that I've just seen this in action. Another one that's uh, tied to it is just the idea of that fellowship. And so community groups are one of the places that we have fellowship, and it's easy because you're at someone's home just hanging out. But in addition to that, we have this fellowship on Sunday mornings, and we've seen this um, over and over. And actually, even aside from Sunday mornings, right, we have times of fellowship. We have men's breakfast on Saturday. We've got lady Bible, ladies' Bible studies that go on. We have prayer meetings. These times when we can get together for um, fellowship. But Sunday mornings um, just seems to be special. And someone in the video mentioned this too. Um, I think it was Paul, but I don't remember Paul Parisi. But King of Grace has been and consistently been just a place that's just warm, full of warmth, full of love, full of joy, and full of happiness. And we've heard this over and over when people come in, that this is one of the things that they, that they experience. And so this fellowship happens before church starts, happens during the break. It happens afterwards. I know many times I've been in charge of locking up the building, and I come and it's like, you know, like a half hour after the service, 45 minutes after the service, and there's still people hanging around, just fellowship and just talking. And so finally, like, all right, I'm leaving. Mickey and I are leaving. We're locking the door. Make sure you get your keys, your wallet, your purses, because when the door closes, it's locked. And by the way, shut off the lights when you leave. But it's just, it's what we've been, it's what we were known for. So we had a, a student who was a seminary uh, student, had gone to Gordon-Conwell, um, and uh, she was here. And when she was leaving uh, to go, she said this. She said that um, the thing that struck her most was just this attitude, this warm, friendly environment. And she said, I've never experienced a church like this before. And she said, I want to take what King and Grace has, and I want to bring it with me wherever I go, so that when I go to a new church or a new place or even my house for that, it becomes this warm, inviting, welcoming, friendly place. It becomes a place that you want to be in. And that's one of the places that I've seen God really working and pouring out his grace in that. It's just that fellowship that just that just binds us together. Um, 
A similar thing to this is unity. Um, the apostle tells us in Ephesians, the apostle Paul, this is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. Um, he says this, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Unity itself isn't just a plea that just, can't we all just get along? And it's not something that says people never have disagreements or that people don't have opinions or that they're always different opinions. But unity is, is living with humility and gentleness and patience. It's bearing with one another in love. And it's eager, it's eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And I've seen this attitude. I've seen this unity among the leaders. I've, for the entire 15 years that I've, or we've been here for 13 years, I guess. For the entire 13 years that, that we've been here, we've seen this unity among the leaders. And we've seen this unity among the people um, as well. Next, where else have we seen God's grace? Paul says, the word of the Lord has gone forth. And we see that at King and Grace, too, right? Because we see the word of the Lord going forth. And I know at men's breakfast and during the community groups, we talk about who do we want to pray for? Who do we want to talk to? And we pray for each other just to build up that courage to talk that, for that boldness. And so we've seen people talking to their families, sometimes a difficult thing, talking to friends, talking to coworkers. And this gospel has been spreading forth. In addition to that, we've had many people who have come and who have gone. We've had many seminary students who are now pastoring their own churches. Um, like Paul said, we've had people come through here who are pastoring in Haverhill itself as well. Um, again, we planted two churches. We're planning on planting a third one, uh, looking at next year already to begin, to begin the third church in Salem. So the word has been going forth. And finally, or not finally, but next, um, one of the places that I've really seen God working in your life, and one of the most clear places that I've seen God, um, just God's hand and God, God's grace, is during times of suffering and during times of affliction. Verses 6 through 7 say, You became imitators of Christ. Because you received the word in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so you became an example to all the believers. In my years here at King and Grace, many people have said, can I talk to you? Most of the time when they say that, they're struggling with something. They're in pain. They're hurting. And I have seen more faith and greater faith and a clearer faith when people have gone through these times than at any other time. It is absolutely amazing. Because you see, people are going through really, really hard times. And they're significant. And the pain is real. And the hurt is true. And they are going through it. And yet they have this faith that is solid in the middle of it. It's not a faith without pain and without hurt and without sorrow. But it is a, it is a faith that is filled, that is set on the firm foundation of Christ and the gospel, and the fact that God is sovereign as they go through it. And I have never, ever been more proud than at those times. 
And I've never, ever been more encouraged than at those times. And I've never been more jealous of someone's faith than at those times as they walk through this. Because these are times when faith is tried beyond belief. And faith is real. And God's grace is real. And like Paul says, you became an example to all the believers. You became an example of what Christians do when they suffer. You became an example of what Christians do when they suffer physically. You became an example of what Christians do when they struggle with fear and anxiety. You became an example of what Christians do when they're out of work. You became an example of what Christian parents do when they're struggling with their children. You became an example of Christians who face loss and know that God is sovereign. Paul says it's the steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And when I talk to other people from other churches, I've got a lot of friends who are pastors, I use you guys as examples. I say this is what Christian people do when they suffer. Obviously, the names have been protected or changed to protect the innocent. But I talk about it. I say, we're going through these things. And I'm like, this is what people do. It's, this is real. The pain is real. The struggle is real. It's, it's intense. And yet they cry out for God. And they know that God is sovereign and that God is there. And that's what I've been most encouraged, um, just about the faith of the people here. Um, you know, when we look, so just moving on, when we look at 15 years, we have to look to those who have faithfully led us for the past 15 years. And so we look to Paul, who's been our lead pastor and church planter. We look at Mike, who's passed all his ordination tests and, ex and requirements and is at the door. We're just waiting for the service now. We look at Toby, who's in the middle of that process, which is a difficult process, very, very difficult. Um, but these guys are a gift from God Let's read from um, Scripture real quick. Um, I don't have it listed, but it's 2 Thessalonians, I think, chapter 2. But he says this. He says, we were gentle among you. We were gentle among you. He's talking about Paul and um, Timothy. I think Titus was probably there at the time, too. Um, he says, we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we are ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Now let me tell you, this describes those guys. They are men of prayer. One of my favorite people to hear pray is Mike because when Mike prays, Mike prays scripture. And you just see it just woven in and in his prayers. It's one of my favorite uh, things to listen to. Um, these guys work hard. Um, they work very hard. And they do it because they're called by God, not because they have to, but because they're called by God 
to proclaim the gospel. They're called by God to help us mature as a body. And that's one thing I didn't mention before, but it's one of the things that I see God's grace just as we mature as a body. It is amazing how much we mature as we listen and we just grow as the Spirit and His sanctifying and Him sanctifying us. These guys are gentle as well. Like Paul says, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Just picture what that looks like. A new mother taking care of her own child. And you can see this gentleness in these guys' hearts. And that is God's grace in their life. And that is God's grace for us as well. Um, These guys are exhorters and encouragers. They're always exhorting you and encouraging you to walk in a manner worthy of God. And verse 12 says, Being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Because you become dear, dear for us. Look at these guys. They are not up here standing cold and indifferent, looking down and preaching down. But these are guys up here whom you have become very, very dear to. And they are sharing not only the gospel, but their very lives with you. You know, God's glory shines so bright. And it shines in so many ways, ways that we're aware of and ways that we're unaware of at all. One of the ways that we've seen God's shining has been through healing. And God has healed so many people, and he's healed people physically. He's healed people spiritually. He's healed people relationally as well. We've had people with physical problems who have come in and been healed, and they have felt God's healing. We've had people come from bad church backgrounds. We've had people come from um, bad spiritual backgrounds, and they have felt God's healing. We've had people that have come with broken relationships or relationships on the verge of being broken forever. And we have seen God's healing there as well. And I am amazed at how much God cares for us here at King of Grace. He has given us a body of people who care for each other. He has given us leaders who truly care for us. And we have seen his love, and we have seen his spirit poured out on this church. Let me just pray. Father God, we thank you so much, Lord, for the way you care for us. We thank you so much for the way you love us. We thank you so much, Lord, that your grace has shone down upon us. We thank you, Lord, that your spirit has filled us. We thank you that your son has died for us. We thank you for the love that you've given us for each other. We thank you for the love that you yourself have given us. In your name I pray, amen. Well, my heart is full already, and I think we could finish now and go home, actually go out enjoy some food together, very satisfied. It's good to be reminded of God's goodness to us. Thank you, Jeff. I want to take us uh, into another aspect of celebrating 15 years. I'm going to look at 1 Corinthians 3, so if you could turn in your Bibles there, we'll 
we'll look at that shortly. Um, it's wonderful to celebrate 15 years together. Um, I was in my mid-30s when we started, and now I'm in my early 50s. And, and uh, Lord willing, uh, we get to serve for more decades as well. Uh, what I want to do in this time is to look forward, to look to our future. Actually, I want to look to our distant future in some ways. At least it may feel that way. This message actually is for King of Grace Church of the year 2052. The reason I chose 2052, it would be our 50th anniversary. Lord willing, um, I'll still be around. Some of our middle-aged folks will still be around. But the uh, baton will have been passed, I trust. And we will be there to kind of cheer you guys on uh, as we prepare to go be with the Lord and cheer on this new King of Grace Church. So this is a message to the church of 2052. Now you guys can listen in because I trust that as we hear God's Word for the future church, we will be built up as well. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 3, 9-17. through 17. Let me just pray and then we'll read that. Lord, thank You for Your Word. And thank You, Lord, for all that You have been doing and have done in our church. Thank You, Lord, for Jeff. And Lord, I'm grateful for this brother serving with him. Uh, what a joy to have him pastoring uh, this church alongside me and then others that You've added. Thank You for all the folks, all Your goodness. Lord, give us that power in You to remember and give You thanks and to be full of joy as we look back. But now, Lord, as we talk about the future, Lord, I pray You'd help me to teach Your Word in a way that would set a direction, continue to set a direction for our future. Lord, I pray that You would speak to us today as we look forward to all that You do over the next 35 plus years. We pray and we thank You in Christ's name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 3, 9-17, through the Apostle Paul is writing to his friends in Corinth. He's planted this church. Uh, they've done well, but they've also struggled. There are some real issues, and so he speaks to them in this context uh, in chapter 3, 9-17. through And he says there, he says, For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. God's Word from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This particular section is addressed to church leaders, but really the whole church of Paul's day and of today as well. And I want to address the church of 2052. Greetings to the church of 2052 from the church of 2017. I imagine there are a lot of things that are different in your world. We can only imagine the things that have happened culturally and politically. 
Perhaps the world you live in is much more hostile to Christianity and kingdom values and ethics. Maybe faithful biblical Christianity has been even outlawed and has gone underground. Maybe you are meeting at night in homes and out in the woods somewhere where you can be safe from the authorities like the church has done at times throughout history. Maybe things have shifted. Maybe there's been a revival of some sort in our country. Maybe that revival has been slow and steady or quick and drastic, but somehow has turned the tide in our country, and our country is full of many believers who are faithfully walking by the Word of God, and there's a vibrant Christian culture, and it's blessing the world in Christ's name. Maybe that's what's going on for you. We don't know. Either way, though, we know and we trust that the good news of Christ, the good news of the Gospel, has continued to do its powerful work in your lives and throughout the globe, changing lives, making disciples. And that's what I want to talk to you about. We don't know the current events. We don't know the circumstances that define your world. But we do know that the timeless Gospel is still the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. Just as sure as Christ rising from the dead, the Gospel will continue its march in affecting all peoples throughout the globe. And the truths of 1 Corinthians 3 are just as important to you as they've been to us and as they were to the first readers of Paul's letter. We trust that you are a church grounded in and submitted to the inerrant, true, fully sufficient, glorious Word of God. And as such, we are sure that you are familiar with this passage. Paul has given us this important truth. He's given it to you. And this truth really is this, that we begin, we continue, and we finish with the good news of Jesus Christ for all of life. We as a church begin, continue, and finish in the good news of Jesus Christ for all of life. And so that's what I want to talk about. Beginning, continuing, and finishing. Paul says in this passage that he has laid a foundation like a chief architect or a construction foreman is the idea here. The foundation that he's laid is 100% gospel truth. It's the truth about Jesus. When we say gospel, that's an old word that means good news. It's the good news about Jesus. It's the truth about Jesus. Who He is and what He's done. At the core, it's that He's died for our sins on the cross. He's paid for our sins. He's paid for the, our transgressions against a good, holy, perfect God. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we know, we know that we are accountable for these things. And yet God in His great mercy and love has sent Christ, God the Son, to die for our sins and to pay its penalty so we can be reconciled with God and live true life, the life we were meant to live in Him. That's the good news of the Gospel. And Paul has laid the foundation of the good news. He has come to this church in Corinth and he determined to know nothing else except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You know, there are a lot of other things Paul could have done. Paul was a gifted man. He could have gone to Corinth and used his rhetorical gifts. He could have talked about his history and his legacy as a, as a faithful Jewish believer. He could have talked about all his learning. But he went to this church and he determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's the foundation He laid. He recognized to build a church, it needed to be built on this 100% pure gospel concrete of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He says that just right before our passage in chapter 2. 
He knew that Jesus is the core of God's wisdom. God's wisdom. Not the world's wisdom. Actually, the truth of Christ, the truth of the Gospel is, is upside down in the world's view. A, a Savior and hero who wins by losing. A crucified Christ. The offense of the Gospel is saying that we are so bad that God Himself in the flesh had to die for us. is offensive. Now, the other side of that is we are so loved that God Himself in the flesh has died for us. But Paul knew that this was God's wisdom. He knew that this truth is the righteousness and holiness and redemption of God's people. He says that in the same area in chapter 1. He knew that Jesus is the means by which we are counted righteous. He is righteousness of God. He is righteousness itself. His life was faithful and good. He was in, lived in right standing with God. And that righteousness, that right standing, that right relationship, that, that right legal place even, is in Christ. And when we put our faith in Him and we turn from our self-efforts, our self-religion, when we turn from our sins and, and rebellion to Jesus and put our faith in Him and say, no, I, won't, I don't want that anymore. I want Jesus. And in Him, we are considered the very righteousness of God. So He is our righteousness. And if you have not put your faith in Him, you can simply do that in a moment. Say, no more. I don't want that. I want Jesus. He is the righteousness of God. He's the wisdom of God. He's our holiness. In connection with Him, we are so connected to Him that we are set apart from the old way into a new life. In a powerful, real way. We are set apart positionally before God. We're counted righteous. We're counted holy. We're considered the family of God, the sons and daughters, the, the ones that are the saints. Saints in Scripture are not the ones that have gone on to heaven and done miracles and so forth. They're believers. They are you and me. We're saints. We're set apart. And we're empowered in that union with Christ to, to gradually grow more and more like Him. He is our holiness. and He's our redemption. He came to rescue us. He came to rescue us from our sin to bring us into new life in Him. To have a relationship with Him. To, to fulfill all that He intended. To, to have a new life. To be a new creation. And to have eventually a new body when He returns. And to live in a new creation. And it's all through Jesus. It's all through what He's done. His resurrection is the promise of that full redemption. Your resurrection body will be like His. Your future is as His is in His resurrected ruling state. He is our redemption. And Paul understood that. And he wanted to make sure that this church was built on this Gospel truth. King of Grace of 2052. The church is meant to be built on something stable and enduring. Even something greater than the Great Pyramids. Perhaps you know the story of the Great Pyramid of Giza. It's the only ancient wonder of the world that's still around. I think I have a picture to show. Originally, it, it was built in 2500 B.C. or earlier. It has perfect proportions of uh, two pi to two decimal places, uh, three decimal places, the proportions of two pi, the base to the height. It's built in with one-fiftieth of an inch of tolerance. There are 2.3 million blocks um, that were built there, roughly 300 a day. It's perfectly aligned north and south. It's built with interlocking stones. It originally had white uh, limestone polished white limestone interlocking perfectly, covering the whole thing. And that's the artist's rendition of that. And it's endured throughout all these years. They were well built 
and it endures to this day. The church, King of Grace Church, you are to be well built in the good news of Christ and you are to endure forever in Him. There's no other solid and true foundation but Christ and Him crucified and risen. So build, begin, build the foundation, and continue in Christ alone. We are to continue as well. So Paul goes on to talk about continuing the, the growth here. He's speaking to those who would build on this foundation of Jesus. He's speaking to the leaders that came in and took His place after He planted. And he says that those who build the foundation with gold, silver, and costly stones will find that on the final day their work is tested. Now, whether you build with gold, silver, and costly stones or wood, hay, and straw, these are two different classes of materials. One's expensive. Not easily accessible. It takes a while to build with gold and silver and precious stones. The other, wood, hay, and straw, you can get anywhere. Cheap, accessible, and quick. You can build quickly with those things. And so Paul is getting at in that metaphor that you can choose to build different ways. You can build with things that are hard work, not as accessible. They're costly. There's a commitment. There's a cost to getting those things, to build with those things. Or you could reach what's at hand and, and use the easy things and build quickly. What that means is the, the church in Corinth, actually, Paul's addressing them and some of the leaders, what they're doing. They're, it looks like some of them are building quickly. They're using worldly methods. They want worldly methods. They want to build with other things. And those other things aren't necessarily wrong. They just are not the, the things to build on. They're not necessarily evil things. They're just things that aren't as durable and true and faithful as the good things. And so what Paul will do in the rest of the letter is he will help them understand how to build wisely. You know how he does that? He takes the simple Gospel message, Christ and Him crucified, and its implications, all that it means, all that comes with it, this, this central message in our life united with Him, our union with Him, we're new cre creations, He's making new creation, all the things that follow with that, the holiness of God, all that comes with it. And he's just going to say, guys, here's the Gospel. And now I'm going to apply it to your situation. And the letter to 1 Corinthians is Paul going through all these issues. It starts out with politics in the church. He applies the Gospel to that. Leadership in the church. He applies the Gospel to that as well. It goes on to talk of other issues. Uh, uh, conflict resolution, legal issues, church holiness, discipline, sex for singles, sex for married, marriage and divorce, children, engaging uh, culture, dealing with personal scruples, freedom and sacrifice, roles for men and women, the Lord's Supper, spiritual gifts, love and... and the resurrection, all these topics, and he could have gone on. He, he does it elsewhere in other letters. He just takes the gospel message, the truth of Christ crucified and risen and its implication, and applies it to those situations. That's how you build with gold, silver, and costly stones. You can build with other things, though. That's how you're supposed to build the church. You can build a church with other things. You can use trendy things. You can use things that attract people in the culture. Not that you don't want to attract people. You can use polished programs and professional presentations. You can use charismatic personalities and pristine accommodations. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But you can use them relying on them to build. And they do not have the durability and the faithfulness to endure. The fire will test them as insufficient. We must build on the good news of Christ. We must build according to code. The Bible code. The Gospel code. The good news of Jesus. And in the construction business, you can build a lot faster 
and cheaper if you don't follow code. You can put things together without worrying about the code. And we've seen the problem with that again and again in history. It doesn't, those buildings don't last, do they? They don't last like the pyramids. They don't last through the earthquakes. They don't last through the, the hurricanes. We saw back in 2008 in uh, Sichuan, China, this great earthquake where there were almost 100,000 dead or missing. A trillion dollars in damage or so occurred. They didn't build the code. Buildings came crashing down. Church of 2052 builds the code. The Bible code. The Gospel code. Build in Jesus. Take the good news and apply it to all of life together. And build the building, the temple that will last. Finally, the church must finish in the good news. Paul talks about in this passage that the day will tell. The day will disclose it. Each work will be revealed by fire. The day means the judgment day, the final day. The day when, when Christ returns and judges everything. He will examine everything. He will, he will uh, look at everything that's gone on. He will look at our lives in every aspect. He will, he will assess our lives based on the fruit of our lives, our works. And everything will be determined whether it is something that endures and is rewarded and last, or something that is burned up. In some ways, the fire is a metaphor, but it's the reality of the one who has eyes of flames of fire looking at our works, looking at our lives, looking at our church, and saying, this is of me, this is not of me. This is of the Gospel of grace. This was of something else. He will do that with everything. The day, the final day, will disclose how we have built have we built well? Have we built to last? Are we building for the final day? Church of 2052, build for the final day. We're not building something that's merely physical or looks good. We're not looking to build something temporary. We're building the very temple of God. And we are to rejoice in that. God is for us. This is a Gospel of grace and good news. He's given us everything we need to do this together. He's given us gifts. He's called us together to build this way. We are to enjoy it. We are to rely on Him. But we are also to take it very seriously. Because we want to build for that final day. We're to take that seriously. We're to love this church. And to know it's His church finishes off this paragraph that anyone who destroys the temple, God will destroy. God takes it very seriously. He doesn't want anyone messing with His people. His church, be it a local church or His whole church. We're to build to last. When I was a kid, uh, I was in awe of the story of the Three Little Pigs. I'm sure you guys know that story, the Three Little Pigs. I can still actually feel the horror of the wolf approaching. Um, I have this like three-year-old's you know memory of the wolf and the and the horror like oh no the wolf he's coming and the pigs are in trouble actually <laughs> um, I am old enough that in my day they hadn't toned down kids stories yet you know they kind of like Hansel and Gretel got cooked in the kettle you know um, and stuff you know and and uh, or they, were, they cooked her or whatever it was and you know they didn't tone it down so my three little pig story was not the the, the toned down one. Um, do you know what I mean? Like sometimes the, the pigs, like they run away and they go to the next house and they get away. And my story, the, the pigs get eaten by the, the wolf. That's what I grew up with. 
My parents were loving people. Don't get, don't get me wrong with that. But that was my story. So that's when I, when I remember this story. That, I'm feeling all that stuff. Um, but you know the story, right? Classic story. The three little pigs. Uh, the, the youngest pig, he wants to build his house quickly and, and easily. It's easy. Use straw. Inexpensive and quick. House is done. He's done way before his brothers. But then the wolf comes, right? And he huffs and he puffs and he blows the house down. Is not by the hair of my chin chin chin, and that doesn't help him at all. Uh, in my story, he gets eaten. In another story, he runs to his brother's house. Whichever one helps you today, you can just think that way. Um, second house, the house made of sticks. A little bit more work, a little more expensive than straw. Takes a little longer, but still not sufficient. The wolf comes there. Let me in, let me in. Not by the hair of my chin chin chin. He huffs and puffs, and he blows the house down. The kid gets eaten, or whatever. And then he goes to the final house, the oldest brother's house. And he's built that house with bricks. And it's taken a long time. It's been expensive. It's been painstaking. But he's built well. And he actually, it takes him so long, he like finishes the last brick as the wolf comes down the pathway. He goes inside the house. You know the story. Up and puff, and you can't do anything. Can't blow the house down. And then, this is where my story is a little different too. He goes up to the chimney. And he climbs down the chimney, and the oldest brother has a pot of hot water. And in my story, the wolf goes in the hot water, and he closes the lid, and they have wolf stew that night. Uh, but now, I don't know what they do now. The wolf, actually, isn't it? he gets burned, and he runs back up the chimney, chimney and leaves. But the point being, the oldest brother did the painstaking work of building his house well for that day of judgment, so to speak, when the wolf came. Our day of judgment is... If you're a believer, it's by our Savior. Notice in the text we read, the one whose work is burned up is still saved. Because we're saved by grace alone through Christ alone. We ourselves are saved. But your works might not make it. King of Grace of 2052, we want your works to make it. We don't want you to get in smelling of smoke. We want you to get in with celebration and joy. Build the way... The oldest brother did. The painstaking work of building around the Gospel and building relationships. There are other ways we can build church. There are other things we can access. We can look to things like polished programs. Nothing wrong with that. Charismatic personality. Sorry, this lead pastor is not a big charismatic personality. Nothing wrong with that. But we're not going to build that way. Those things can attract people and build numbers, but that's not a church that's built on the Gospel. We're to build on the Gospel, the painstaking work of speaking the truth and love to one another. In order to love each other, you have to get to know each other. You have to build relationally. That's why we do small groups, guys. It isn't just an idea like, let's just do it. We do it because we recognize Sundays are great, but they're not enough. We need to build relationally. We need to know each other and love each other. And we need to bring the good news to each other's lives for every part of life. We need to do what Paul does. The costly stones, gold, silver, costly stones, is taking the Gospel and helping apply it together to all the situations of life and all that we're called to do and the mission we're called to do to share that Gospel with others. That's how you build well. That's how you build to last. The bank could come up and close this portion. Let's build that way. Church of 2052, build for the final day. And we pledge by God's grace to do the same. We pledge that when the time comes to pass the baton to you, you will have a church. You will inherit a church that has been built on the Gospel. The beginning, the middle, and the end for us. Built 
on the Gospel of God's grace built to last. We trust you will continue to do the same. Amen.